On this week's episode of Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast, a former Tesla engineer joins me to talk about life at Tesla during a critical time in the company's history, the run-up to the Model 3, and how his new company could be the answer to one of the biggest concerns about owning an EV, that being charging at an apartment complex. Enjoy. happening, friends? Ryan McCaffrey here with you for episode 365 of Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast for July 31st, 2022. Today, uh, actually a couple days ago, as of the re- the release of this podcast, marks the four-year anniversary of me taking delivery of my Model 3, which is a day I look back on very fondly. I had waited so long to get to that moment And I remember vividly the day was fraught with some anxiety because there was an actual problem with the Tesla payment website and I couldn't actually get the car, get the, you know, money moved over from the car loan. And it took a, and this was on a Sunday, so nothing was open. And anyway, I actually made, if you want to, there's a time capsule that I made of my feelings and emotions and my experience of that day. If you go back, it's, I guess maybe you'd have to just search for it on teslapodcast.libson.com, which is the hosting site of this podcast. Maybe Google would be quicker. I don't know, but I think I just called it uh, My Delivery Day or something. If you just search, you know, Ride the Lightning Tesla Delivery Day, that might pull it up. It was from July, of course, of 2018, as we are now at the four-year anniversary of that. But it's also coming up in just a couple days after this episode officially publishes the seven-year anniversary of the first episode of this podcast, which released on August 2nd, 2015. And boy, what a ride it has been. I have done, this podcast has led me to things I never would have thought possible. I got to sit down and interview Elon. That's the big one back on episode 200. And I know a lot of you joined me at that point in time. You listened to that episode and then you you were kind enough to stick with me ever since. And I'm, I'm so grateful for that. I got to interview Franz von Holzhausen, the chief designer of Tesla on episode 220, just several months later, which it was such a thrill for me because I've never gotten to interview the guy that designed my car before. That was so much fun, and I've been to a number of different, I've traveled to a number of different places, and I've met so many of you over over time of you either, you know, looking me up if you're in the San Francisco area or whatnot. So I just want to sincerely say before I get going here, thank you. Thank you to all of you who've who've been listening, whether this is your first episode by chance, and you're wondering, hey, when is this guy going to get to the Tesla stuff? Whether this is your, say, 166th episode, since, again, a lot of you joined in right at episode 200 with the Elon interview, or maybe some of you out there, I know this is your 365th episode, or even technically, actually, technically, this is the 367th episode, because I did not only the aforementioned special delivery day episode that I just released as an extra show, 
I also did that same thing, just released as an extra show. Uh, in the fall of 2018, I did a Tesla beginner's guide, which is probably really, really out of date now. But I made it at the time because so many people were were getting Model 3s. The you know the car was hitting just hitting volume production, and so that's that's probably a time capsule itself right now. Anyway, what I want to say again is thank you because your time is valuable, and I really do appreciate you spending an hour plus of it with me each and every week. Uh, and also, real quick, those of you kind enough to back my podcasting efforts on Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast. I hope all of you at the ludicrous tier that get access to that weekly lightning round bonus mini episode enjoyed this week's bonus mini episode, which was about how getting the very unique opportunity to drive the original Tesla Roadster back in 2009 totally changed my life. And I'm telling this story now on the lightning round on Patreon because last week, as it turns out, was the 16-year anniversary of the unveiling of the original Roadster. So again, if you'd like to learn more about my Patreon, I always give it a plug at the end of the show, but you can find more at patreon.com slash Podcast. It's the totally voluntary way that you can choose to support me and my uh, podcasting efforts here, if you like. All right, let me set up the heart of the show here real quick. It's not going to be the usual roundup and analysis of weekly Tesla news, and that is because uh, in just a a short while here, I am going to be departing on a family trip with not just my wife and kid, but my extended family uh, as well. We're going off on a family trip, and so I take it very seriously that this podcast needs to come out every week. I need to give you content because it's important that you can count on this podcast being there. How else can I expect you to be a loyal listener? How else can I possibly expect you to consider backing me on Patreon if I'm not there for you each and every week? But I also need to get a little time, a little downtime, take a little break from the podcast, have some family time. So uh, if you've been with me for a while, you know that what I like to do with these episodes is to have a, a really nice awesome conversation with somebody in the Tesla community. And that is exactly what I'm about to do here. The interview is with a gentleman by the name of Nicholas Johnson. Today, he's the founder of orangecharger.com, which you'll hear a lot more about in the interview. But he's also a former Tesla engineer who worked on the Model 3 and talked about life at Tesla during that vital period of the company's history when they were trying to get the Model 3 ready to go and into production and out the door. So I really hope you enjoy this. It is a 57-minute long conversation. I I had a really good time talking to Nicholas and learning about orangecharger.com because as as you'll hear, I think it could really be a, a, a serious step towards solving the multi-unit dwelling problem that EVs inherently have. So he'll tell you about that and we'll talk about the early the the early Model 3 days and the run up to the 3 at Tesla. Now next week, the timing of my v- vacation here, I should be back in time to give you a recap and analysis of everything that happens at the annual shareholder meeting happening next week at Giga Texas in Austin. If not though, 
I do have a plan in place, but I'll uh, I'll, I'll just spoil it for you because if I don't use it next week, the this plan it will I will use it soon. I won't sit on this for too long. I just recorded a really awesome hour long conversation with Ben Schaefer. He's the co-founder of Unplugged Performance, which is a you know the aftermarket Tesla performance and accessory place that you've heard me bring up on the show from time to time. Uh, so that's that's in the can and ready to go. Maybe for next week, but if my if everything goes okay with my travel, and if everything goes okay, if I don't get COVID on this trip, uh, then I should be back with a recap and analysis of the shareholder meeting. So enough yammering from me. Let's get to the meat of this episode, which is my conversation with Nicholas Johnson from OrangeCharger.com, a former Tesla engineer. I hope you enjoy this, but stick around. Afterwards, I'm going to do a few phone calls and then your pro tip of the week and all the usual stuff. I actually have an update on my solar situation that a number of you have been emailing me about. So there is, there's more show after the interview, so stick around. But for now, enjoy the conversation. My guest this week is Nicholas Johnson. He is a longtime Tesla engineer, longtime Tesla employee, who now has a very compelling new startup. It is Orange EV Charger, which you can learn more about at orangecharger.com. And I think this is going to be very relevant to a lot of people listening to this, and we'll get into why in a minute. But first, Nicholas, welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, you and I met through a mutual friend. And uh, I'm so glad we've connected because uh, what you were up to at Tesla was very interesting to me. There's stuff in my car that you directly worked on. And what you're up to now is uh, is a really, really uh, fascinating attempt to solve one of the key remaining problems in the EV movement. So uh, I want to start with your Tesla background. How long were you at the company? What was your era at Tesla? And, and what specifically was your role at Tesla? Yeah, um, so I wasn't actually there that long. Uh, amazingly, I was only there like one year and six months, uh, but it felt a lot longer. Uh, I worked out of college. It was my first job out of college there on wow. the thermal team. Um, so we cover everything from like thermal of the battery, HVAC. Um, we also got roped into other projects like cooling supercharging cables and uh Tesla energy when they were doing the first power walls, like figuring out how to cool those. So our team got to touch a lot of products, which was really awesome. And we were really small at the time. We were just coming out of X launch and X ramp into the model three development, which was why I wanted to work there. Yeah. Uh, my function of like reasoning for wanting to work at Tesla as a design engineer um, was one, I wanted to be, you know, put my mark on history. And I thought model three was going to be one of the most historic cars, at least in my lifetime in terms of yeah. disrupting the automotive industry, which was bring a affordable, awesome electric car to the masses. Because before that, you had expensive electric cars and everybody was like, oh, it's only for the rich and it doesn't actually solve any problems. And right. um, as you were saying, I think in one of your other podcasts recently is Elon's really focused on scaling volume right now, which is this, the key to EV adoption, actually having a climate and health impacts that we talk about. Because like, if only a small percentage of people have access to EVs is the best way to put it, then it doesn't actually have any effect on the, the societal impact. It's just yeah. like, oh, you you don't pollute. Great for you. It's like, but you need a lot of people. So that was cool. Um, and some of the products I worked on that are directly in your car 
um, where the HVAC um, coolant systems and uh, some of actually the autopilot cooling for autopilot 2.0. Oh, what's that's interesting. So meaning like keeping the, the, the computer driving computer from, from yeah. melting down during, <laughs> during a heavy workload. Yeah, that and um, also the heating elements in the cameras. So one of the things people might not know is the cameras melt snow or water, they heat up yeah. um, around the cameras to allow them to see in, you know, the snow on them or debris on them. And so it's designed to heat up and clear the view. So we also did the, the design for that. You know, you mentioned the Model 3 a minute ago and and how you felt like it was going to change, uh, be, be this really important car in history. So was that kind of the driving reason that you had applied to Tesla and you wanted to work there coming out of college? Well, I'll be frank. It took 13 interviews to find your friend, uh, Jeff, who was in the role I wanted. Wow. Um, so uh, a lot of it was like, go work in the factory out of college, go do PLA. I was like, no, no, I want to work on the vehicle, like design. Yeah. And so like that took a lot finding the right people in the company. And then uh, I was really fortunate that I ended up on the team I ended up because it ended up being one of the best teams I've ever worked with um, in terms of like drive and like uh, uniting around a core mission. And that was pretty awesome. It's never really seen it actually again. Um, but it's, that was one of the things. So yeah, it was very much a core to why I wanted to work there. It was like, this car is going to change everything in terms of the way people think about automotive in my lifetime. And I want to be a part of that more than just, you know, even more than just being, I want to directly like impact how that vehicle is built. So what was the, what was the sentiment across your team and and from what you could sense the entire company during that model three run up, like, did you get the sense that everybody kind of was motivated and fueled by this idea that, that you were making something that, that could be historically significant and, and really make a big difference in the world? Uh, I'd say a hundred percent. Yes. In general, not everyone obviously at the company feels that way. Um, but a lot of the core people I worked with, specifically on our team really did feel we were making a huge impact by bringing the cost of EVs down. It was, it's kind of why I also started this company. It's like, we really, can we bring this to the masses? That was the game changing moment of like, can we bring the cost of this technology to the point that the average person could afford it? And can we get the volumes high enough to scale it, to actually have the impact we wanted on the environment, on our air quality, um, on our energy grid and system? Like there's so many benefits to electric cars that motivated a lot of people I worked with. I, a good example is I just remember being there at like 1130 at night um, with another engineer on the 12 volt team. And he looks around the office and it's like pretty full. Yeah. Wow. And, it was, and it's like, we're pushing for something. And he's like, this is when, you know, people care when they're staying, like, yeah. you have enough people staying late, but in other times, you know, the office was empty. So it just, it ebbed and flowed kind of with the push. I think I've never worked like Elon's ability to get people to work really hard and bring them together is one of his greatest skills, right? Yeah. For better and for worse, I think back then even more so, he wasn't so Twittery and so popular. He was still kind of an unknown, you know, becoming more known billionaire. Right. Um, wasn't the wealthiest person in the world. People thought Tesla was going to fail. And that was like, you know, telling your parents, I'm going to go work at a car company in Silicon Valley. And they're like, that doesn't exist. That's not going <laughs> to work. Like, that's going to fail. Um, was a common sentiment that you'd get from people. Like there's no chance this will work still. It really wasn't, in, I'd say until 2017, 2018, when Model 3 was starting to ramp, that people yeah. started to take that company genuinely seriously. And so like that was a big shift. But yeah, in general, the by far the best team I've ever worked on um, because we were all motivated by that, for the most part, by that mission. So it was like, you want to be on a Saturday? Yeah. It wasn't like, oh, I got better things to do. It was like, I'm working on something that will hopefully change how humanity 
consumes resources. And and what is your sense of the car now? You know, here in 2022, it's gone on to win awards. It's wildly popular. I mean, it's been overtaken by the Y from a popularity production standpoint. But the Model Three, I, I think. I mean, granted, I'm you're talking to the host of a weekly Tesla podcast, so yes, I'm going to say that the car's been a wild success. But what is your your sense of the Model Three now when you see them driving down the road? I know you you've got a Model S, but uh, what, what, what do you think about when you see that car now? Um, well, I'm always stoked when I see it and you see a lot of them, which is really cool. And I start seeing more of them when I travel, which used to not be a thing because right. like if I go to Florida or like Texas, you didn't see a Tesla. Now I do. And I see model threes and Ys everywhere. Um, and it just makes me smile knowing that like this car has changed the perception and gotten more people that might've never thought of driving electric to convert. And so that's been awesome. Like a product that's changed the way people think about what electric means, that's what that did. And that's that's kind of what I think its value prop is. Now, as a car, it's definitely not a perfect car. Uh, I'm a car guy and I have like my loves and hatreds for every car. And sure. Like you're a DeLorean guy before Tesla guy. And yeah, so like we all definitely we all, not a perfect car. Yeah. No. And and so I think like that wasn't what was so important to me about it. I think it's got its strengths and its strengths are really good. And so that's convinced enough people that this is the car they want to drive. And that it's electric is just a double, like sometimes it's not even the main reason they're buying it. And that's, that's a good sign. We did our job well there, but in general, that team and the company did their job really well to scale it to where it is today. And it, it's, it's truly impressive, but yeah, I, I think the car has aged pretty well, actually. If you're I asking agree. about like, like, it's still, you know, Tesla is not one to make a lot of design, like external design tweaks very often, like some other car manufacturers and yeah, it's hold it's held up really well. Like it's still, it doesn't. Like my car's turning four years old and the Model 3 in general is now, I guess, officially coming up on its fifth birthday. Still looks pretty new. Yeah, I think they did a good job with design. I, we can give we can give Franz some credit there. He, he did something, right? Um, he's, but, uh, he's maybe pretty good at his job. Yeah, he's pretty good at his job. <laughs> but I think that's a part of like the Apple-esque, you, you asked about like culture too. Like there's a lot of Silicon Valley in uh, Tesla because that's the people that live here and work here and have kind of built it. And there's got a lot of little Apple-esque and a lot of the engineers that came from Apple to work on Tesla. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of the design choices feel very Apple, which is, I think, good because Apple, in a sense, is a timeless design. They go minimalism, they go simple. And by doing that, you build timeless design. But in terms of like the engineering, I also think that the people that worked on that car, I I mean, I, my director is one of the smartest people I've ever worked with. Um, And I learned so much about thermodynamics and aerodynamics from him because that's not my degree. I'm an electrical engineer. Um, but like the amount I learned from him in a short period of time gives you a sense for how smart he was. And that is in the ethos of the company and the ethos of the product. There's so much integration and engineering that makes that car amazing. And it was designed to bring the cost down. It wasn't just engineering to like, right. it wasn't like Mercedes engineering to make your car do something it doesn't need to do. It was making it so the car could be affordable, which I think is really profound and thinking about engineering in a different way, especially because, you know, a lot of car companies for the last decade have been using engineering to build AMGs and M sports to make cars go faster. And, um, the other one's fuel efficiency that you see a lot of engineering in. And this is like taking that paradigm and going, well, we're going to take something that doesn't have a fuel efficiency problem and give it to the people by bringing it the technology cost to reasonable. I think my, to kind of really put something though that really bothers me in the last year is the price of these cars has gone up so much. Like they keep going up yeah. in price, not down. And I feel like 
the Model 3 started off with the ability to do it, but I actually feel like the Chevy Bolt is closer right now to achieving like their widespread adoption of EVs to the masses. Right, they cut their price. They cut their price while Tesla's is going up. And I kind of get it. Like Tesla's become a very luxury item and they have the ability and the demand. Like they're sold out for six to nine months on most of their cars. Like getting one is a challenge. And they also have shareholders that want to see that stock price go up. But in terms of like the mission of the company, I was really hoping to see those cars prices go down. And we know from like external, it's publicly, so I can say this, but like they're making more than any car company per car sold. They're in like the oh, 10 yeah. to $15,000 in profit per car, which is unheard of in the automotive industry when like BMW 3 Series make 4000 And that was like the high end of what a car company could expect to make on a pretty high volume luxury car. And so they've blown that out of the water. What I would have loved to see is more of the prices come down. But what I think we'll see is the supply chain is the reason that's happening. It's like, we got to stay in business. We got to scale. We're growing fast. We got a two or three years of scaling before those prices might drop. I mean, that's a, that's also a testament to the market. Like every car is expensive. Toyota. What is it? My favorite one is the Toyota RAV4 prime hybrid. It's like a $46,000 car MSRP. And it went for sale for like $115,000 at a dealership. <laughs> and like, that's just the world we live in right now. So it's not so much a testament to the Tesla. It's just a testament yeah. to the automotive industry. But it, it hurts us. I mean, us as like a society by you know, bef- being so expensive. Yeah, no, and I agree. And that's why, I mean, I talked about on the podcast, like my, my wife's considering a Bolt because, you know, she just needs an around town car. She works, she works out of, out of her house. We don't, we don't, doesn't need anything with, with supercharging or anything, anything fancy, but there's nothing on Tesla's product roadmap for her, even though we would love to buy a, another Tesla for her. So where, where there've been hints of the $25,000 Tesla, uh, from Elon tweets and stuff, but there hasn't been really any traction in terms of what that will become and when that timeline is like yeah. so much of Tesla timelines are kind of our, our Achilles, the Achilles <laughs> heel of that company. <laughs> Well, but but as I've always said on the podcast, the thing that the difference is is uh, other companies you you ultimately if you got the thing at all, it'd be a watered down version of it. With Tesla, when, when Elon says they're going to do something, generally it, it will happen. Just as you said, not on the same time horizon that is initially given, but usually it, it'll come. I mean, that's which is kind of where we are now with the with the Tesla semi and the Cybertruck and the Roadster. It's like I have every faith that those vehicles are, are coming, but it's just been a painfully long wait for all of them. What they what he does well, I'll give this to him as management because, you know, he is the CEO. He <laughs> understands the technology well enough to see it's possible. While some, and this is a, we, we actually, Silicon Valley has a, a, a little bit of a dirty track record with some companies recently and Nikola and like, flat out lying right like those yeah. companies flat out lied about their technology tesla's never lied about what they can achieve they just takes longer to achieve it at scale and so like everything he's shown you for the most part is achievable it's just how long will it take to bring it to the production and that's a different problem it's not so much that we can do it in a lab it's like we've done this it's really cool how do we actually scale this to like yeah. a manufacturing and that's usually the bottleneck now, let me just ask you one more, um, one or two more Tesla questions, and we'll get on to Orange, which yeah. uh, is, you know, that's why you're here. You're not here for your health. So we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll get to plug in here in a minute. But uh, is, you know, much was made, you know, Elon talked a lot about sleeping on the factory floor and, and being down uh, in the, you know, the early down, down with everybody trying to get cars done in the early days of the Model 3. 
Did you ever see that or did you either have any direct or indirect uh, view into like exactly what your production of, hell? What? Yeah. What being yeah. No, I, I uh, had around Elon is like in that moment. Um, a little bit. I wouldn't say I have direct interaction with Elon in those moments, but you'd see him around. Um, you as engineers would have to sometimes present to him or the, you know, VPs of your departments or cross-disciplinary on projects. And so we did that a bunch, um, for factory ramp. I think what I give Elon credit for is he would be there. Like yeah. the CEO of Ford's never showing up to put parts on a car. <laughs> Elon would. And I think that's a difference between the type of executive he, I'm going to say was, I don't know if he is today. I think he's more focused on SpaceX because Tesla is kind of now coasting on its success. Um, I say it's ramping on its success and there's the right people in the right seats. So he doesn't have to worry about it as much, but back then it was still very difficult to find talent to run a lot of those parts of the company, especially scaling model three development. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I don't, he probably admit, but I think we made a mistake at us as a company was, and I'm a part of this mistake um, as an engineer, we overestimated our capabilities in automation and none of us really actually had backgrounds in automation, to be honest, that were doing some of the automation. Like it sounded cool. I wanted to do it. it. Let's try it was the kind of idea. And it didn't work out as perfectly as planned. And so that was a hiccup and a lesson learned that kind of led to the manual processes that got put in place to kind of fill that gap. What I will say is they've filled in those gaps with automation over the time of lessons learned. And that's where I think Tesla is one of the best places as an engineer to work because you get to work on something often fail mm -hmm. and then figure out how to make it work the second time or the third time. Well, that's not always the case for big companies. Like um, as an engineer, I would never have been able to do what I did at, at any other OEM because it would take me seven years of earning my stripes at like a GM or Ford before they'd ever let me work on a product or design that would go to production and scale, let alone work on like process changes in a factory, right? But because Tesla was a lot more like, let's try things and give smart people a chance, you get to work with really smart, hungry young people who are willing to put in those 100-hour weeks to learn because that's what we love doing. That's usually with the hiring mark is like, are you passionate about what you do enough that you'll stay here on a Saturday because what you did on a Friday didn't work um, to get it to work by Monday? And th that's the character structure that I think he hires for. One thing I don't know if you know this, but Elon, uh, I don't know if he still does this, but interviewed every engineer. Oh, before wow. the, and I know there and, were certain teams like he, he's talked about how he interviews everybody on the autopilot team, but I didn't realize it went back in the day. He, he interviewed every engineer hired. So uh, I had to interview with him and also write like a two page essay to three prompt questions he gave me. And that was like. That was his, you know, why are you here? What What is the value? Are you smart enough? That was the first thing. It's like, and he doesn't look for like, he, the company itself didn't always do this, but doesn't look for attributes as like your school or your background. It's whether have you done before, like what projects have you worked on as an mm -hmm. engineer? Because, and I agree with him this now as a founder, like a lot of people have great credentials, but when you give them a task to get something done, they actually don't know what that means. And so engineering is about delivering something someone can use. That's why I love it and like seeing someone use it. So that is something he's hired for. That's kind of comes back to your like saying they make great products. It might take them longer than they say, because no one knows how long something will take. We're really humans are bad at that, but they have the people there that will generally keep checking away and learning to get the final result they want. And sometimes they even come up with things that will never be seen. One of my favorites was the snake robot. 
That was an intern oh, yeah. project. Yeah, it's th- that video is still on the Tesla YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. Like it's it still seems like maybe that's a viable option for when full autonomy is a thing. But- it might be. You never know. I don't know what the rollout and expense would cost to you know retrofit superchargers with all of those. I feel like it's uh, astronomically expensive. Your six motors per arm, but um, <laughs> the, the, that was a really cool engineering project that an intern did over like a summer internship and like that kind of gives you a sense for like the freedom people also had to try things and not get like pigeonholed into this is the way you have to do it it was like somebody came up with wouldn't it be really cool if we could do this and they did that in their spare time um so that's the company culture of like the type of people you worked with uh i know i said i would pivot to orange and i will i promise but you you got to tell me like getting interviewed by elon was that i mean Oh, Were you expecting that? And what, like, was that intimidating? What, what was that like for you? I mean, it's a short interview. It's 10 minutes. Um, cause he's so busy and yeah. it's more like a check-in at that point. You've already been given a job offer. He's final veto. Got it. So it's, he's got three questions, but yeah, it's nerve wracking. Like I remember staying up two nights before just being like, okay, I can't screw this up or I don't get this job. That type of thing. Like I really want this job specifically, like I've months at this now back and forth with Tesla's hiring department to get like where I was. And your friend that you mentioned is really actually influential in me getting that job. Uh, so I owe him a great deal of gratitude because he believed in me enough to like back me up to be like, yeah, this, this young guy out of college can do this very difficult role. I can see it in him. He's got the hustle. And then I left him a year and a half in to do something <laughs> even more difficult. <laughs> well, all right. There's the perfect segue. See, I appreciate you're taking the interview into your own hands. Um, so again, you know, I teased it at the top orange, charger could you know the way you described it to me and i've been been studying the website and, and talking to you and uh this is going to be relevant to not just a lot of my audience but the entire ev movement so before we dig in deeper can you give us the the cliff's notes version of orange charger and what you are trying to do oh 100 yes we we do this all the time um so orange uh, i started two and a half years ago to solve a problem that I kept coming across, which was uh, uh, a few of us actually kind of solved it. It was a bunch of EV enthusiasts. So it's very relevant to the market, which was installing electric vehicle charging in multifamily properties. And the data point that really got me excited by this to really focus on the problem was in 2019, Model 3 was doing great, selling amazingly. And we're looking at sales data of EVs in general. The Bolt was selling actually pretty well. Leafs were in their version two starting to sell you. In San Mateo County, where I live, which is just a little south of you, um, is one of the highest adoptions of EVs at the time. It was like 6% of cars on the road were EVs. When we looked deeper, one of our actually in, uh, founding investors in this company looked deeper at that. He realized that only 9% of those cars were being registered to multifamily residents. But in San Mateo, 46% of people live in some sort of multifamily units. Oh, so it was wow. like really skewed. And then one of the things we hypothesized was, well, the car is still kind of expensive. So unless you could afford a house, you really couldn't afford the car. But that's not true. When you look at some of the rents you pay here and some of these high-end apartments. So we looked at those and those were still skewed. And we interviewed a bunch of people. So we're actually, before I started this company, I was a founder of another company that I'd spent three years working on that did AI powered traffic management called light.ai. Give them a little plug, but um, it was a big decision to leave. And so like when I left, I wanted to be sure. So I'd spent before I left six months with these guys arguing back and forth on the problem and what the solutions to look at and interviewing and you know people in the communities on Facebook, on Twitter, on Reddit, um, on the Tesla forums, asking people how they charge their cars. And a lot of the times I'd ask people that live in multifamilies, 
And in that time, I watched a lot of people give up their car. Like they'd bought a Model 3. And they're like, after five months of owning it, or sometimes less, living in a multifamily, having to use superchargers or find public charging, I don't even want the car anymore. And I was like, this is a huge problem if our goal, which just comes back to like why I wanted to work at Tesla, was access to clean transportation, like closing this loop. And, And Orange will go longer than that. So what we do is we looked at the problem and built a solution. So our current market solution is these outlets. They're IoT connected, uh, 120 volts, level one, and low power level two outlets. So we realized that like power levels are kind of irrelevant when you're sleeping. You yeah, just want to wake need up. a fast charger. Yeah, exactly. So it was like, but we need to bring the cost down so property owners will want to install it. And so when you're looking at like a standard charge point that's $4,000 plus install, you're at like four to $5,000 to install one charger. And the other problem people don't really think about is I call it the last mile delivery of electricity. I know you've probably talked about this maybe a little bit in your podcast, but there's the, if everybody drives electric, what will that do to the grid? And it is a concern, not at the generation side. If you just took how much energy we generate, we produce more than enough energy to put into cars. Um, we just don't actually have a good way to get it there. So like it becomes a transmission problem. And mm-hmm. I, I call it the very last mile. So panel capacity. The wires that go from the grid to your building to a panel that then go to an outlet to your charger or to your, you know, an outlet that you charge off of, those wires across all of America, that last mile, are limiting who and how many people can charge. And that's that's what we're kind of solving. We're working on like scaling. And so that that's Orange's value prop. And then to do that, we built a mobile payment platform because the other side of this is property owners want to collect money for the electricity they're giving away. They don't want to give it away for free. Most drivers are willing to pay for energy. You do at your house, right? So you needed a really simple, affordable way to scale that. So our two metrics we actually track is uh, cost of operations, so CapEx, and then uh, cost of install. And then our goal was the lowest cost per kilowatts out and number of parking spots covered. So if we have 100 amps of spare capacity or 50 amps of spare capacity, we want to cover the most number of parking spots possible with that amperage that we have available before having to call in our case, PG&E here in San Mateo, but any, you know, grid provider be like, we need you to upgrade our service or transformer that gets expensive. It gets time consuming. It limits who can own. So that's the premise behind orange. Um, but really simply we're, we're an EV charging platform for multifamily properties right now. And, uh, the best pitch to that is we're 60% less to install and operate than our competitors, which allows us to actually build profitable business models over what I call time horizons, real estate developers, like, which is those four to six year time horizons. So in order to to like get literal buy-in on this, you need to make this as easy and appealing for both the end users, but also the property owners and property managers as well. So what what have you learned in in bringing Orange to property managers and property owners so far? So our, in, our customers, property developers and property managers, um, HOAs are a little trickier, but we do sell into them and we help them make that process simpler to get buy-in from their HOA board at whatever property they're at. But in general, we see the trend and so do the developers that they're going to need to offer this as an amenity. And current solutions were really designed, I call it around the incentive packages. So you look at like ChargePoint, Blink, uh, most EverCharge, they're all level two boxes. They all look the same. They all have the same check boxes to basically be sold through incentive programs. Mostly at the time, like ChargePoint was public incentive programs. Install this at the Whole Foods, install this outside of the city hall, install at the public library. 
that's not where people charge. So it's the wrong place to be installing charging. In fact, like the data shows that's the wrong place to be installing charging. It was like overwhelmingly EV drivers charge at home. And unless it's, I call it the 50 kilowatt up, I, I say 125, some people say 50. DC fast charging should not be in public. Anything below 125 kilowatt hours should not be in a public location. It should be uh, focused around the type of driving behaviors. So if you are respecting people's time, let's say it that way, to make it convenient enough, like I think the best example is when we designed Model 3, we didn't compare it to every EV. We compared it to every car. It had to be better or as good yeah, as like a BMW smart. or Mercedes. Yeah. Charging has to be better than a gas station in convenience for people who normally wouldn't, they don't care about the environment. Let's be real. It's not, we were trying to convince the world to change their habits and it has to be better than the habits they have now, right? It's already it's so hard to change your habits already. And that habit is waking up fully charged. As an EV driver, you know how great that is. That is so convenient. But for somebody who lives in a multifamily, they don't have that. That ownership just drops off. They're like, this is not worth my time right? Or my inconvenience, Mm -hmm. unless I'm a diehard environmentalist to do this. And so that's kind of the structure. And so that's one side that's got to be convenient enough for the drivers and affordable enough for the drivers. It can't be more expensive than gas. It can't gouge them. I can't make them feel like they're being profiteered off of, but they're willing to pay for energy, sometimes above to not have have the convenience of charging at home. The property owner side is really simple. These guys are real estate people. They're usually investing because someone else's money in most cases. They're no different than a venture fund and it's just a different product. And they're figuring out, I have money to just spend. I build this product. EV drivers want this product, but I need a way to make it so that it doesn't hurt my business model. And so for us, a lot of it is focused around, and um, I call it the economics of charging. We had to bring the cost down of install to a point where you could pay it back off of kilowatt hours sold at reasonable prices, not crazy dollar cent yeah. dollar in a reasonable amount of time for them to get buy-in. And that's that's what we're selling. We're selling the ROI on this investment into their properties, which is their product, t- that doesn't hurt their business model. It actually helps their business model. You know, and I was that, gonna that, ask you what you what you've learned from your time at Tesla that you've applied to this, but I think you you kind of just answered it. It's it's uh it's the it's the affordability factor. It's making it, it's just trying to make this uh, a common s- sense solution for everybody involved. Yeah. And, and the other one that we really focused on was scale. So like a lot of times people talk about shared charging as a solution. Uh, we'll install one or two charge point or level two chargers and the residents can share them. And I've yet to see that ever work. I don't know if you, if people on this channel would ever want to chime in and be like, yeah, I had a shared charger at my apartment complex and no one moved their car. And that was like the common one. Like your car takes an hour and a half to two hours to charge it on a 40 amp circuit, let's say. Right. On the average miles driven in the Bay Area is 45 miles a day. It's 29 nationwide. So it's even less than that. You're just trying to, I call it the top off approach. You're, you don't ever think about charging your car like a gas car from like zero to full. You think about I'm at 50 to 80, 60 to 80, 40 to 80. It's always like, and it's usually where you said it, or I'm going on a road trip tomorrow. I want to go to 90 or a hundred. Mm-hmm. As long as you can top off and I call it net positive, where at the end of a week of driving your daily commute, your chores, you're dropping the kids off, whatever your lifestyle is, you get the miles you need back. That's what we're selling. And, and so the shared approach fails at that because you don't have the confidence of knowing that the, where you park your car every night, you can plug in. You have to hope someone's not there and that they'll move their car once they're done charging, which 
traditionally we have data to show doesn't happen. Uh, most people leave their cars plugged in. So that's why our solution is really about scaling the number of parking spots covered too. It has to cover yeah. as many people as possible. Yeah. A friend of mine, a uh, coworker of mine just bought a, an Ionic 5, loves it, but he was already texting me about uh, sort of, he didn't know he was texting me about EV etiquette, but he was, that's what he was texting me about because he said, oh, there's, there's somebody in my, my complex, my building that they're clearly done charging because their car just sits there all day and I want to plug in. What do I do? So yeah, you're, uh, what would you tell him? I'm generally there. curious. Like, what do you think the general EV ed- etiquette is for that? Do you unplug them? <laughs> I, I told him, I, you know, that it's generally frowned upon if you unplug someone else's car that is generally not received well in, yeah. in to the best of my understanding. A lot of times I, I, I would probably wouldn't like it. Even, even if I were done, I would probably feel, feel a little like weird about it. Yeah, I'd be like, why is someone so close to my car? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's the security camera mode you go in and you check <laughs> yeah. out. Like, what, who was it? Low sentry mode, yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, now, your, Nicholas, your investors slash advisors are names that longtime Tesla fans will recognize here. Yes. Martin Eberhard and Mark Tarpening, who happen to be two of the original co-founders of Tesla. So how the heck did you come to meet them and get them involved with Orange Charger here, and and what have they brought to the project for you? Um, well, they've brought mentorship. So that they're longtime Silicon Valley founders. In fact, before they started Tesla, they started an e-reader company that was like the idea of an Amazon um, e-reader Kindle. Before that, there's a thing for Amazon, and they sold that right before the, the dot com crash. And then they were kind of thinking about are they going to do next, and that's how Tesla came. And there's you know Elon's story, Martin's story. I don't really know which one. I, you know, there's, there's truth in all of them. Uh, so I kind of let that one go, but in general, the, they've been amazing advisors, um, and investors to have on the, the, you know, cap table and deal with from time to time. Uh, Mark Tarpening is one of the nicest people I've ever gotten to work with. And he's always willing to help. Um, he's very networky. Uh, so I don't know if that's a proper legal term, but, uh, <laughs> he, he introduces he, you to the right people. Is that anytime you need an intro, he's willing to make it, he's really well connected. So that's his value. And everybody only has good things to say about him. Martin, super intelligent engineer, one of the smartest engineers. So when I was thinking about like product design, product development, manufacturing, he had, he could send me places and be like, talk to this guy. I used to work with him. So they've been really valuable there. And then they're also, again, you know, recognized names so they can get me the meetings when I need them. Um, and that's super valuable. But besides that, they're just really smart, fun people to work with. Um, and they also are very aligned with the mission, right? Like they, I don't know if people believe it or not, but Martin did generally write out the whole master plan um, himself in a sense of like, we're going to start with an expensive sports car, but like to have the environmental impact has to scale to like mass production car, like Camrys. And he wrote all that out that became Tesla's master plan. I think almost about the same time, if not with Elon or before Elon, don't know the timing, but regardless, like they were a part of that strong mission that is drive, drove engineers and people want to work there. Uh, to give you an anecdotal story about that, um, the Inconvenient Truth came out about the time they were working on the Roadster and they decided to take all of their, you know, 12 engineers and out of San Mateo and go watch it one afternoon for in Berkeley. And he left and one engineer goes, man, that's a big problem. We should figure out how to solve that like total engineer disconnect. And Martin goes over and says, what do you think we're building an electric car for you, idiot? Like it was just like such a great, like disconnect of like, why are we building this expensive sports car to solve this problem that we just watched in like, you know, the Al Gore times of climate change. And 
I think that's a good example of kind of how they think. So they align really well with our mission, which is scaling access to clean energy. It's kind of what we say as Orange, or we're not a charging company, we're a uh, access to electricity company. Our goal is to provide affordable access to electricity, ideally clean electricity over time. We don't currently have control everywhere we install if the energy going through our outlets is sourced from clean sources, but yeah. in certain geographics we do. And that's the goal. Like that's that kind of dictates our products, our roadmap, our structure, and our ethos. So you know, multi as you've you've already talked about. I mean, multifamily dwelling living is is arguably maybe even the number one biggest obstacle to EV to to the EV movement, which is clearly underway and not going to stop and cannot be stopped at this You're point. The damn you cited, yeah, you cited <laughs> the data. Uh, at, earlier in our chat here about when you were first looking into this, the the overwhelming data in San Mateo County. And so I'm curious, do you see, is, is orange charger the answer to this problem or, or is it a problem for which there is not one single answer? I mean, obviously, you you know, you, you wouldn't have founded this company if you didn't think you were part of the solution, but I'm kind of curious how you see the whole thing holistically. Yeah, we're definitely currently part of the solution. Um, as we scale and grow and, you know, hire and build our next product line and, and add our software features to manage stuff, I think we will become probably hopefully the de facto solution for any multifamily property. You come to us and we have a solution for whatever your property type is. Um, we have the ability to help manage energy and demand response and all these other things that people don't really think about, but big properties have issues with. Um, single family homes actually contribute to demand response, but like when you own a big complex and you get hit with a demand response charge commercially, it's painful. It can be anywhere from like fifteen to $30,000 in a month of like wow. you get overcharged on electricity because you went above the demand response time and now you're getting charged a dollar or something electricity. So those are things that we work on and that once we get kind of there, I think we'll have a really good holistic solution to, to solve almost every multifamily solution like problem. Um, capacity still one none of us have solved i'll just put mm-hmm. that frankly like we don't have a product right now that solves i call it panel capacity limitations so if your panel capacity limited your options right now are really uh pay to install a new service for just for charging upgrade your service and that's pretty much where it ends we are working right now in ways to expand that so you could scale i call it linearly with demand like we work with a lot of multi-family developers who might have 25 EV drivers in a 200 unit apartment complex. That's pretty good. That's usually like LA, Bay Area. They don't have that across their whole portfolio. And so it doesn't make sense for them to retrofit more than they need, but they do need ability to scale it as people show up or, you know, be just ahead of that. So that's kind of what we're really working on is making it so they can do that. I think uh, one one other similarity that I see uh, between what you're doing at Orange and what Tesla has been doing for a while now is that you've got to have good software. It's a hardware and a software problem. Can you kind of talk about, cause you could, you could have, you know, your orange chargers, uh, you know, I know there's like a, there's like Bluetooth built into them. So they talk to each other and there's, there's some neat stuff going on, but the, the software has to be good for either the, you know, the end user or the property manager. How, how has, uh, how has that challenge, that portion of the challenge been in, in getting the software to be good? Um, we're a software company at heart. Like that's where coming from like my background, I love hardware engineering, but like software has been ethos in all of my hardware engineering. So um, 
I think software is the most important part of this. In fact, I tried to off-the-shelf cellular outlets. So to give you a little background, one of the problems people don't think about in multifamily is they're kind of Faraday cages when you go underground into a concrete right. structure and your cell phone doesn't have service. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I experience this every time I go to Palo Alto to their city hall. They installed charging where there's no cell service, but the cell to activate the charger, I need to ping a cell network that then <laughs> pings to the charger and I can't do it. So I actually have to walk outside. I take a picture of the charger and then I take and like hold it up with someone else's phone to scan it so I can activate the charger in the basement that's on probably Wi-Fi at the building, but my phone's not, so it has no service. So like that's a common problem in multifamily, like underground connectivity. So the the outlets we had to build to solve that, I was like one of the problems we had to overcome. And so at first I was like, I'm going to buy an Amazon Alexa outlet, call it a day and just have some manufacturer in China, like put my software on top of it so I can activate and deactivate them and monitor energy. What I quickly found was there's two things we had to meet. One is we have to meet energy grade uh, metering. So we have to be certified as a watt hour meter in most in certain states to sell kilowatt hour electricity. So that was a design consideration. Most Amazon Alexa outlets aren't accurate enough to do that level of metering. So we had to build the metering in. Next was connectivity. We needed to reduce the cost and allow connectivity. We wanted connectivity of the outlets to our network for over their updates, real-time reporting. If somebody comes in and unplugs your adapter, we'll let you know. Like yeah. We have that ability in most of our installs. But we also knew we couldn't rely on the cell s- signal down there. So we mesh network our outlets, and then our outlets communicate directly with the phone. So we have Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, and cellular on most of them. And then the other thing is people don't think about is networks aren't like static. They change with topographies, cell towers going up and down, buildings being built. So we have been working on now creating a dynamic network where like it can self-heal and it will decide what devices to use as the gateway. So that's the hardware side, but it's a lot of software on the hardware that's allowing all that to happen. So kind of coming back to Tesla, you have to have good hardware that's thought out, that's capable to put good software on it with features. And then it really becomes like the sky's the limit. Like, what can I think of? Oh, I can do that. Um, I think the way I look at it is a lot of companies in this space, especially the charging space, they buy hardware from vendors. Like uh, they'll buy from like a company that sells DC fast charging and then there'll be the v- software and payment platform on top of it. Like yeah. Electrify America, you go. They really struggle with reliability and features and integration because they're buying a product that, that if they want change. They have to go back to that company and convince them to change it. And so there's a value to having what I call the full stack in our, in our company, which is we own everything down to the circuit board all the way up to you know the mobile app. And by that, if we decide we want to make a change, and Tesla has that too, right? They're a full stack hardware to software company, which is different than Ford, who has traditionally gone to all their tier ones to do infotainment systems. They've gone to all of their like, you know, Bosch to do parking. And Tesla's had to integrate a lot of that, some out of necessity. And then I think now it's out of choice. Um, and it gives them the ability as an engineer to be like, I want this feature. I'm just going to go create it this weekend, coming back to culture. And instead of waiting around to go have to convince somebody else to create it for me. And so we are in that same boat. I think I would never start a company that doesn't have this ability of stack from our hardware all the way up to software. Because at the end of the day, the software has to be great. That's mm-hmm. just the world we live in. We're, we're software driven. But you don't get good software if the hardware can't support things. And that's like where we have designed our our product around and then the other one is um, maintenance i don't know if you've thought about this but most chargers we looked at they break because the cable gets run over or frayed yeah and true. replacing that's really expensive because it, having an electrician drive to any site is like a minimum 250 dollars just to have them drive there and then scheduling them right now right now is really hard like two to three weeks to schedule an electrician to go do work 
because they're so in demand with like some of the booms. And then minimum 250 plus hardware cost. If it's like a charge point, you have to replace the whole system. Some companies will just sell the replacement cable. Electrician has to turn off the breaker, do the work. It's C10 certified. So it's not like an average person can do this. You couldn't have your maintenance guy do it. And we were like, that's really bad because that means if things break, it's on the property. It's really expensive for if we have that. So we actually removed the cable with our outlets, which we get kind of criticized for. It's just an outlet. But as a driver, you get a mobile adapter. You'll take care of it better than the public thing. We just know human mm-hmm. nature. And if it breaks, Amazon two day. That's the longest you'll be down, right? Like, yeah. And there's no electrician. There's no. So that was a huge like realization that by removing the cable, we move one of the manual failure points to like inhibit people from broken chargers. Oh, I love it. It's good stuff. That's the um, hardware aspect of it. And uh, how do you get the word out on this besides coming on to Tesla podcasts like this one? Because I, I will say as somebody who is an EV owner, who follows the space very closely, obviously doing a podcast every week before you and I sat down recently and, and you were telling me about Orange, I just was not aware of it at all. So what's because, uh, you know, I figure it's awareness, this theoretically solves sells itself if the if the price is right which i know is a big focus for you so what's the plan on getting the word out on this so a lot of our actual effort is uh getting our word out with people that don't even drive evs a lot of the people i deal with are like management or owners of large multifamily companies they own thousands of properties across the u.s and they're institutional investors in real estate um that's where a lot of our actual focus is. So we're a pretty B2B company in that respect. So we're not going to like an EV conference. We're going to like, to give you an example, a multifamily housing conference. And we're yeah. hanging out with people that buy and build multifamily housing um, because that's our current niche target we're after. And we want to become the dominant player in that space. And that is a little different than say like another charging company who's selling mostly to EV drivers, right? And then there's not a lot of value for us, I'd say doing like ads because you're not going to be able to go on our website and buy now. I mean, you can, but we're going to take that away soon because most of our deal flow is actually through B2B sales and managing projects. So we don't just sell a product. We actually manage a lot of the time the site assessment, recommended install, electrician hiring and permitting and drawings all the way to completion and commissioning. And yeah, so one-stop like, shop. One-stop shop. And it's kind of a necessity in the space because we're doing B2B. These people in a sense, are used to that. That's how other people sell to them. And we have partners that help us do that. So because we have to have a, I call it a certified type of installer, C10 electrician, often union to do a lot of this work, it's not as easy as just selling something online. So that that is one of the reasons you probably haven't heard of us or seen a lot of us, but we're changing that. Hence these podcasts is, <laughs> is we want more people to know about us so they can find us and we can help them. Um, we're a pretty new company. So we've only actually been selling product for eight months. The first part of the, you know, starting a company is building product, getting UL certified, doing some bring up. We're revamping a lot of our software right now from like mistakes we made early on thinking about like, this is how we think it's going to roll out. Now that we've rolled out, we're like, oh, we actually need to change our software to like better manage, I call it organizations or better manage drivers or better do billing and like automate certain parts. So like there's still a lot of work that we're doing there that I think will be the next three to four months before I feel like we're going to just be ramping these things out of a manufacturing facility. But yeah, uh, the more people know, the better. Uh, Hopefully we can solve as many parking spot problems as possible for people and their multifamily so they can own EVs and do it in a way that makes property owners stoked to have us there. And so, you know, now that we're getting some, you know, you're, you're speaking to a, a, a fairly large audience of 
100% EV owners and or enthusiasts. So for my listeners out there who, who might be in a position where the orange charger might benefit them either as an end user and or as a, a property owner, property manager, what what would you advise them? What should their next step be to try and get you know, get in touch with the company, get, you know, get orange into their property. Well, uh, the easiest way to get orange near your property is go to our website and fill out on our homepage, our like contact form, and we'll reach out to you pretty fast in a day or two. Um, if you guys overwhelm us and you like us so much, it might take us a few more days. Uh, we just brought on two new sales guys in the last two weeks. So that's been probably helping with that. But in general, um, that's the easiest way to get hold of us. We will recommend other charging solutions if we're not the best one in general. Like we're not here to shove product down people's throat. We're generally here to solve a problem that exists yeah. and we think we have a good solution for it. So we're happy to give like, you know, insight and information on like what is your problem. If you live in an HOA, we have packets that we're, we can email you to help you like get through the HOA process of votes and legal for the HOA organization to sign off on you installing Orange. And then the biggest one I think I'd be interested in knowing from your audience is because they are EV drivers. And what I used to, what I did early on actually is I went to all the superchargers in my area during rush hour, called like the mm-hmm. five to six p.m. and I hand out these little flyers to find people like how many people still have to rely on DC fast charging as their mode of charging. And I think that's something that is a, your audience has probably a lot more of than we know because it was a rather staggering number like you'd expect dc fast charging superchargers for tesla owners to be like you know road trip like i don't know about you but you have at home charging you really only use it like me who has at home charging to do a road trip like you're driving really far one day or you're driving down the bay and back and doing a loop like it's not your daily thing but But a lot of people but but you see it too bay area superchargers of which we are blessed with many are full all the time yeah, and, and that's a testament to those people probably don't have access to charging at home. And so those people, I want them to become our customers. I want them to be like, hey, I'd love to have a, 600, a 620 plug in my wall, get 15 miles an hour and wake up every day with the miles I use. And so I don't have to go to a supercharger every few days to top up my car. And I don't think people think about this, but it's actually really bad to do DC fast charging. So there's to your car, like it's not good for it. It's there. It was designed to make an EV convenient for you know, the 99% of driving that you do when road tripping. It's like, I'm going to drive to Colorado before EVs, before supercharging, that would take you freaking forever. Oh like yeah. You, you're stopping. Ask the original Roadster owners about that. Yeah. Roadster owners know about that. And so like that solved that problem. It wasn't designed to solve at home charging because it does have a negative impact on your battery life. There's no question there. And then the other one is cost. It costs more to use those. Those prices we just saw increase in, I think, you just had a somebody on your podcast talking about like Canada's doubled or more in their yeah. supercharging prices. Yeah. I think we're going to see that trend continue because the problem with DC fast charging is it's not a business model that works. Tesla does it because it sells cars, but like, and then like, a, I think it's Electrify America is VW's punishment for Dieselgate. Exactly. So yeah. like they're, they're not doing it out of the kindness of their heart and that they're going to try to figure out at some point to monetize that as we get to the masses, right? Where we, we're talking 10, 20, 30% of EV drivers it's going to be a profit center for people. They're going to be like, I install charging to make money. And you're going to pay probably close, to be honest, in the future for gas prices for those because they can. There's no, you, you, you're buying and you're not. And it's like, that's my fear of that. But on top of that, it does one other thing people don't think about. It's impact on the grid. Mm-hmm. So during the time you get off work is also the time we have like the highest spike in energy consumption as well as when all of our renewables kind of die off. So all the solar on our roof start getting that's shaded. point. 
And so you have this, it's called the duck curve in California, where we have so much renewable that throughout the day, we produce plenty of energy. We don't use it. And this is where storage, Tesla energy storage at grid scale is really interesting. And there's a number of companies entering that space that I am really fascinated by. But if we continue the trend of expecting drivers to use DC fast charging and thinking about like a gas station model, their user behavior is going to be that of a gas station. They're going to get off work. They're going to go fill up their car while they do some errands at a DC fast charger. And then they're going to go home which puts strain on the grid at the worst time. And it's the most expensive electricity because we're spinning up peaker plants. We're spinning up the most expensive energy to put in their cars, sometimes the dirtiest energy to put in their cars. Yeah. And so if you can offset that by saying you can go home and charge slowly overnight, you're, you're taking when the energy is used the least. You're, most people are asleep. They're not running appliances. They're not watching TV. They're not at work. That's the best time that we can charge cars. And so that's what we're also trying to offset is getting that user behavior to also help the grid. Love it. Love it. So Nicholas, if, if orange charger does what you want it to do, what the, let's look at the five-year time horizon here. What does, how does orange look in five years? How does, how do apartment complexes and multi-unit dwellings look uh, across this country and, and hopefully beyond in the next, in the next five years? So yeah, our initial go-to-market is uh, multifamily. And then we have our workplace and hospitality next on our roadmap. Um, you can imagine during we started our company, I left to start this in 2020 and not soon after COVID came out. So took the basically through the break on all uh, workplace because I was like, no one's going to work. So let's not go sell to them. Um, but we will pick that up as people start going back to work. It's another place our product works really well. But in terms of like the vision for five years, there's, there's a pretty cool roadmap. Um, I can't give too much away because I don't want to like you know, let the cat out of the bag yet. Sure. But um, ideally there's outlets everywhere you go and live to some extent, whether it's orange outlets or, uh, you know, other companies that sprop up to put charging, you have access to overnight charging where most people live. Like 30 to 40% of the population has access to affordable overnight charging. And then the other side of that is we as a company are also focused on the other side, which is grid, which I brought up in the last comment. So we also work on software to help manage that grid and also source clean energy. So as we get more and more drivers on our network and five years is a good time, hopefully we have like a hundred thousand people every night charging across this country, maybe Europe. Um, we start, uh, being able to provide energy from clean sources that we can manage using software. And that's where I think where the charging infrastructures, like you said, we're a hardware software company. For me, charging is a part of our company, but not the long-term vision of our company. And so like charging allows us to open up new business models and also new ways of using energy. And so that's what I'm most interested in is the energy usage across, you know, a hundred thousand vehicles a night that are charging on orange. I love it, man. You guys, uh, it's, it's a, it's a excellent problem to try and tackle. It's an important problem to try and tackle. Everybody should go to orangecharger.com to learn more. Uh, all right, Nicholas, though, before I let you go, I, I am curious, as a former engineer at Tesla, November 2019, you're already gone from the company. When the Cybertruck rolls onto the stage, may, maybe you heard rumblings about it. I don't know whether you can talk about how much you knew or didn't know about the Cybertruck, yeah. but I'm curious your reaction to the Cybertruck when you first either heard about it internally or saw it roll out on stage. Well, I'm really early in line for that truck. Um, but I knew that truck was coming years before it kind of came up in like when I was still there. 
Yeah. Uh, so working on the aero team, when you're talking about building a truck, aero has a big impact on trucks. So that kind of, you know, a bunch of ideas from the studio came through my team's simulation software uh, on figuring out aerodynamics for that vehicle. And, and the design ethos kind of came from aerodynamic requirements a lot, that hence its weird triangular shape for a truck. And I actually love it. I know a lot of people, it's like, oh my God, it's like, but I also am a big, like we were just talking before we jumped on about Cyberpunk 2027 yes. and like uh, Burning Man-esque type style and steampunk. There's something about that truck I just love because it's so obnoxious in a sense of like <laughs> so off the beaten path. It also has so much Elon ethos to it, like from like the, you know, grungy Silicon Valley 90 gamer programmer world that kind of is the, what I imagine Elon when he was at PayPal coding away. Right. Um, so I love that truck. I think it's going to be a great vehicle. It's going to have the Tesla ethos of like the supercharged network. So you can actually road trip it. Cause that's something I think trucks, I'm a truck guy before my model S I drove a Tundra for years and I, there's something freeing about a truck, death Valley trips, like camping, like all those things. I'm really excited to have that truck and see how it changes, you know, people's appreciation for what trucks can do. I think Rivian is doing a good job of that with their ethos. They're kind of calling the Patagonia of car companies, um, the way they market their vehicle. Yeah. And I, I just wish the cost was more affordable, right? Like that's, uh, again, the air, the barrier to entry to these is still so high that, you know, even well off people in let's say like, you know, not the masses, it's it's a big decision to buy a hundred thousand dollar vehicle, and they last a while. So you're, it's uh, I think where the Cybertruck. Hopefully, I know you talked about pricing. Uh, I hope they'll hit their pricing. To be honest, like I hope they can bring that truck into the pricing world that it is like the F one fifty Lightning in terms of like the truck is truck for the masses. Um, where I hope Ford to kind of caveat the truck too, from like the standpoint of the trucking world of EVs because that's been a hot topic recently. I hope Ford also figures out the charging network for their truck. Cause I yeah. know they're selling like these really expensive 80 amp chargers and doing like vehicle to building. So you can back up and like hustling it as a battery pack is the way I describe their marketing. It's like their truck's not just a truck. You can charge other cars with their truck. Um, and there's a value to that, but at the same time, it's still going to take a lot of convincing and, and trucks are hard because you tow and do things that are not exactly conducive to range. Yeah. And so it, that's the balancing act. So the Cybertruck's going to be a really awesome vehicle. But my reaction to it was I already had a pre-order in. <laughs> I was texting people weeks before it was launched, like, hey, I need a pre-order. Um, so nice. yeah, I'm really excited for it. Oh, I love it. Nicholas Johnson, the founder of Orange EV Charger. Learn more at orangecharger.com. Nicholas, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much. And uh, we really appreciate you as you know a company doing your outreach and education. Uh, so keep up the awesome podcast. It's super fun to listen to. I hope you enjoyed that interview. I had a really good time chatting with Nicholas there. Learned a lot. That was It's always neat to get the insight from somebody that was actually there. While I was sitting there waiting for my car, he was working with a big team to help try and make the thing happen. All right, let's do a few calls from the Ride the Lightning Hotline. Your calls. If you've got a question, comment, or discussion topic for the podcast, give me a call. There are two easy ways to do that. Either use your smartphone's built-in voice recording software, Record your question. Please try to keep it to 90 seconds or less so that I can get to as many people each week as possible. And then email that file to me at teslapodcast at gmail.com. 
Or you can take that same 90 second or less call and actually call and leave a message on the Ride the Lightning hotline itself. It's a toll-free number you can dial anytime, and the number is 1-888-989-8752. Again, that's 1-888-989-TSLA. And if you know someone special with an upcoming birthday, anniversary, graduation, or some other special occasion, you can give them a unique gift of recorded voices from friends and family telling them why they're special. The recordings can be podcasted or put onto a keepsake. Visit lifeonrecord.com to learn more. First up is Cody in Tennessee. He's the gentleman you may recall had his Tesla firebombed. Something was thrown, an explosive device was thrown under his car while it was parked on the street. And I played you the news clip. He made the local news. Here is Cody with an update on his situation. Ryan, Cody in Tennessee, following up on my uh, Tesla attack, for lack of a better phrase. Um, So someone recognized the vehicle from my Instagram, reached out to the parents of the owner of the vehicle, and they reached out promptly to me saying, hey, this was our kid. We're mortified. Pay for everything. Don't worry about it. Just let us know. And and so sorry. And um, so fortunately, the damage wasn't as bad bad as I thought it would be. It was um, Tesla took care of me this morning. Um, it was an aero shield that needed to be replaced. It went off, the explosion went off right below the rear motor. Unfortunately, there's no damage to that. Um, things a tank, which is great. Um, so they took care of it. The parents of this kid paid for it um, and we're all set. Frankly, very relieved to know that it was uh, actually not done with malice towards me or my car, the attack that is. It was actually uh, kids messing with a kid across the street. Um, their house and my car happened to be parked right in front of that house so it um, had nothing to do with me or the car or or anything like that so I'm I'm relieved from that perspective it was an uh, anxiety ridden 24 hours um, which is about how long it took for us to find out who did it so um, it happened pretty quickly and um, it's all been squared away now but I wanted to update you uh, and the listeners uh, if you feel like you want to put that out there thank you for um, you know everything you do and uh, keep up the good work. Cheers. Cody, I appreciate you taking the time to follow up with me on that. I am relieved to hear, first and foremost, that your car is okay and there's no serious damage to it. Now, secondary to that, I'm also happy to hear that your Tesla wasn't specifically targeted, nor was it anything directed at you personally. And hey, kudos to the parents involved here for taking responsibility and making you whole on this as well. Like to see that. Uh, I should add as well that in Cody's email to me where he attached his his voice recording there, he also told me, quote, I'll also note exclude home is no longer selected on my car, which was my advice I gave for really him and anybody that that's got their car uh, parked on the street, even if it's right outside their house. So, Cody, I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad the news is good here. And here's hoping that you got all of your bad car karma out of the way at once and that the rest of your Tesla ownership experience will be, if nothing else, an uneventful one for you. But thank you very much for calling in. Adam from Orlando is up next, responding to my discussion about uh, the key fobs being removed from new Model S's and Model X's, that the key fobs will no longer be included at delivery. Go ahead, Adam. Hey, Ryan. Adam from Orlando here. I was just listening to the latest uh, podcast, and you were talking about the uh, key fobs not being a big deal for the S and X. I agreed on the S 
the three and the Y, but the X is a totally different thing. The, um, the X allows you to open all of the doors automatically from up to 100 feet away, plus the self-presenting door uh, feature for the driver's side. So um, I think it's a better option in that respect because um, you might always have your phone with you and you don't want the, the door self-presenting all the time. So if you use just the key fob, you're only going to have that self-presenting door when using the key fob. So you can leave that key fob in the house and not have to accidentally trigger the door walking by it in the garage and whatnot. So I really do think it's a good option for X owners. And um, like you said before, when you're buying a $100,000 plus vehicle, it is sort of a big deal to to just cut these little nickel and dime things out for uh, cost-cutting reasons. So uh, thanks for the show and all you do. Adam, you know what? Good point. I agree with you. The X is a bit of a different beast than, than even the Model S. And you are right that the key fob makes good use of the Model X's various door tricks. So now that you've made me think about this, I'd say that I honestly wouldn't miss the key fob if I were getting a new S, but I would be with you in yes, indeed, missing it if I were getting a new Model X. Thanks for your call, Adam. I'll just do one more call this week. It's from Ken in Chicago. Hey, Ryan, this is Ken from suburban Chicago. A uh, long time, first time. I'm driving an early 2016 Model 70 uh, S70D uh, with 71,000 miles on it. I have ordered a new Model S, uh, but I'm calling you today on July 21st because it is the one-year anniversary of me placing my order for my new Model S. And I'm not expecting delivery until late August or uh, early September. So there is quite a wait for these cars. I know you've heard, had other uh, people on talking about the wait, um, and that's my experience with it. However, I'm still happy uh, for two reasons. Number one, I'm driving a Tesla right now, and uh, that's a wonderful car to drive. And number two, the new car uh, has increased in price by $10,000, which uh, I am not going to have to pay. So uh, all in all, I think uh, things are coming up uh, quite positively, even though it's been quite, quite the wait. Uh, again, thanks so much for everything you do. It's a great podcast. Uh, listen every week. Take care. Ken, thank you very much for your call, and welcome to the Ride the Lightning Hotline. Uh, you are clearly a patient man, and while that $10,000 savings relative to new orders is definitely the biggest thing that you can take solace in during your long wait, I would respectfully know that there are two other cool things that you will also have in return for your 13-month wait time. First is the updated headlights and taillights, complete with that revised taillight design in the back, which I think is an improvement. Subjective, of course. You may, you may disagree if you haven't had a chance to see it up close yet. But second is the tilting center screen. I trust that your new Model S will be worth the wait in so many ways, though, given that you're coming from a 70D. I mean, that's the range alone is going to be huge. Just big increase, 240 miles to 400 miles. And second, of course... Obviously, you get that whole new interior, that redesigned interior as well. So here's hoping that new S finds its way into your garage very soon. Thanks again for your call, Ken, and take care. All right, that is all the time I've got for phone calls this week, but keep those calls coming. I'll get to some more next week. Of course, this is a regular feature of the show. I do love hearing from you, 
So dial me up anytime you've got a Tesla question, comment, or discussion topic. But stick with me, the show is not over yet. I wanna tell you about my solar experience and my the next step in my solar journey, which is now happening. I'll give you your pro tip of the week and more coming up right after this. This is Steve Downs, the voice of Master Chief, Sierra 117. You're listening to Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast. You know, that Cybertruck looks a lot like a warthog, doesn't it? Master Chief, out. As for what's going on with me in my Tesla life, we have decided to proceed with solar panels on our home, which is very exciting. As I told you last week and then the, and the week before, you know, we, I did call Tesla first. I reached out to Tesla first and they were very quick. As I told you, they, they got a, a quote, you know, immediately and a design proposal right away. But then they were, when I actually spoke to someone or when they sent the final design, it was just not going to be a, a lot of energy offset. 43%, I believe, is what the energy offset number they quoted me. Got on the phone with them and talked through it and just didn't quite seem like it was going to work out. So I had also reached out to Budget Safe Solar, who, as you know, I promote them at the end of the show. They're a friend of the podcast. They had reached out to me and explained their whole deal about how they're basically like a solar broker working in all 50 states in Puerto Rico. And they they work with you to try and find the best solar project to meet your specific needs. Well, uh, I went through it and... I have to say, my wife and I were both very impressed with the presentation, the, the personalized presentation we got over Zoom, uh, the proposal that was given, and the, the personalized attention that we got. And I'm telling you, this is not an ad. I'm not, I promise. This is, we, uh, I, like I said, I, I was all set to go with Tesla first. Like, I went to them first, and if they had given me a system that, that we were going to be happy with, we would have gone that way and didn't quite pan out with Tesla. I don't hold that against them. But it, again, my experience is, again, my experience, I'm not going to say this as a blanket general statement, but in my experience, Tesla seems like they will, they'll kind of do, um, I don't mean this disparagingly, but basically a, a cookie cutter. They'll just, they'll, they've, you know, if they have a simple design that'll work for you, then great. You're probably going to do great with Tesla and the, the price seems very competitive. But if you have to deviate from that at all, and I live in a 100 plus year old, very tall, narrow San Francisco home with not a lot of roof space. And and so I, my situation was, uh, you know, not, not your average everyday home uh, that, that you'd find in most of the country. So it just didn't work out for me with Tesla, but budget safe solar has been great. Uh, we'll see how it goes. You know, hopefully I'm not going to come back on here and be like, oh my gosh, this is a nightmare and I can't stand this. But hopefully it's going to go great and we are moving ahead. So I'm just waiting on the DocuSign now to make it official. But uh, yeah, proceeding with solar, which it's really exciting. I got to say, I I, uh, I mean, I've wanted this for a long time, but we never really got serious about it. And honestly, the, the thing for us is we had some money set aside for uh, like our, you know, home, a home project stuff, you know, home project budget. And, and we also, I would say that the big motivator for us is that the federal tax credit on solar installations is at its peak. Now it will be, it is going to, it is going to step down over the next few years. It's, it will be going down for 2023 and then down again. So, you know, there was a, there was some 
a chance to save some money here by getting it done in 2022. And we were able to make it work with our finances to, to do this. So, I mean, we'll, you know, we'll be paying for it for a bit. It's not going to be, <laughs> we don't exactly have, have that money between the couch cushions, we're, but we're going to make it work and, and uh, hopefully it's going to go great. So I am, uh, I'm looking forward to working with Budget Safe Solar. And that way, when, when you hear me plug them at the end of the show, you will know that I'm, that I'm, uh, I'm not just plugging them as a friend of the podcast and as an alternative to Tesla Solar, that I'm actually a client. I am a customer myself, which actually I'm a customer of all the stuff that I, all the friends of the podcast that I mention at the end of the show. That's all, it's all products that I use. It's all stuff. I mean, I'm not just throwing it at, at you to try and make a buck. It's all stuff that I use and like myself. And now I can say the same thing about budget safe solar. So uh, I will, again, keep you updated on this solar project as it progresses. Meanwhile, though, pro tip of the week time. Here is Doug from East Hampton, New York. Hey, Ryan, this is Doug. I'll say from East Hampton, New York, because that's where I am now. I have a pro tip, or at least for me it was a pro tip once I discovered it. Uh, it's well known that uh, sentry mode keeps uh, your Tesla from sleeping, and so you lose 7 or 8% or so of battery a day. Uh, I think it's also known that carpet overheat protection has some effect on the battery too, but that's only active for 12 hours, and obviously depends on what the outside temperature is. But what wasn't known to me uh, was that summon, if you leave standby on in your summon, then in your smart summon, uh, then that keeps the car from sleeping too. Uh, apparently, I turned that on when I first got the car, although I think I've only used smart summon once, uh, and it wasn't great, so I never really used it again. Uh, but my battery was draining no matter what, and I couldn't figure out why. I talked to Tesla informally a couple of times, but never submitted a service ticket with it for it. And eventually, I did figure it out just by um, looking at Teslafy and doing some analysis of when the car was sleeping. Uh, now that I've turned that off, my car sleeps and is very happy to be sleeping after a year and a half of insomnia. Anyway, hope all is well. Love the podcast and uh, talk to you soon. Bye. A year and a half of insomnia. I like that, Doug. That's a, that's a nice turn of phrase there. Thank you for your call and for sharing that information with your fellow Tesla owners. You know, I suspect you will help some people out with that one, which, as always, is the point of the Pro Tip of the Week segment. So I appreciate you taking the time to call in and share it. If anybody else out there has a Pro Tip of the Week, please do share it. Let me add to my knowledge base. Let everybody else out there add to their Tesla knowledge base. You can send in your Pro Tip of the Week the same way that you send in a regular Ride the Lightning hotline call. All right. We are just about done with a fairly long episode of the show here. Again, I hope you enjoyed the interview. Before I go, let me mention some friends of the podcast. I'll start with abstractocean.com, makers of so many excellent aftermarket Tesla accessories, many of them lighting related, but not all of them. There's also the drop-in cup holder stabilizer. They have their very popular fourth generation tempered glass screen protector for the three and the Y. Uh, I actually, I need to check and see if they have one for the new S and X yet. I presume they probably do by now, but it's got an antimicrobial coating and it loses, it uses aluminosilicate glass, which is the same stuff that Corning glass uses for Gorilla Glass. So it's good stuff. And it's also just exactly molded. It ships with the installation frame. 
So it makes it very easy to get properly on the car. Lifetime guarantee if it's damaged in any way. So again, abstractocean.com. And be sure to use the 15% off coupon code for those of you making your first order there. The code is RTL Podcast. All one word, RTL Podcast. No space in there. Next up, don't forget your snap plate for the 3, Y, X, or S as well at everyamp.com slash RTL. The front license plate bracket for people like me that otherwise hate having to put a front plate on the car. This one will go on securely, but cleanly and in a very minimalist way, blending in nicely with the front end of the car. And if you remove it, whether you're detailing the car, you're at a car show, or you just don't want it on for a while and you'll put it back on when you get to a parking meter or going through a toll booth, if it's off, it's like it was never there. Leaves no unsightly hardware behind. So get yours for any of the four Teslas at everyamp.com slash RTL. I already mentioned Budget Safe Solar, but again, their website is simply their name, budgetsafesolar.com. And if you do end up going with them, as I have, to do your solar installation for your home or office, all I ask is that you please use the referral code RTL. I did. (laughs) Uh, How about Immaculate Reflections? If you're going to be in the San Francisco Bay Area, the greater San Francisco Bay Area, with your car... Why not treat your car to some professional detailing work? Maybe you want to do ceramic coating so that you don't have to wax it for the next eh, three to five years. I guess I'm at four years now and my ceramic coating still going strong as of the last time that I was in, that I'd stopped in to see uh, Jeff at Immaculate Reflections. So yeah, ceramic coating is awesome. It's, uh, It's a super wax, basically. Jeff can do that for you. There's also, of course, paint protection film. If you want to do some, maybe the front end of the car, maybe the front end and the rockers and all the high impact areas, maybe you want to do the whole thing. There's also paint correction. Get your paint finish looking better than factory new, which is exactly what Jeff did for my car. It looks better than when it came out of the factory. So anyway, uh, anything, any service you book, it can be anything. It doesn't, you don't have to do like a certain dollar amount or whatever. Any service you book, there is a nice little discount waiting for you. All you got to do is mention that you're a Ride the Lightning listener and the way to reach out is through the website, which is irdetailing.com. And then there's puretesla.com slash RTL. Don't forget that slash RTL on the website there. That is the place to go for your dash cam and sentry mode setups because you want a reliable dash cam and sentry mode at all times. I told you the story last episode about how I was nearly sideswiped at 70 miles an hour on the freeway by a Prius taxi cab. And I saw a lot of you went onto my Instagram to watch the video of that too, the dash cam video. And if that person had hit me, I would have had the video to prove that I was in my lane going perfectly straight. So thank goodness that I had my dash cam. Make sure you're you're using uh, one as well. And why not use puretesla.com slash RTL? Because the reason to do so, it's micro SD based. So it is just a long-term solution. It's designed for the constant reading and writing that happens with your dash cam and sentry mode. So again, one more time for that, puretesla.com slash RTL, 49 bucks for the 128 gigabyte kit. Ships free anywhere in the U.S., which is a nice little bonus as well. 
Finally, there is my there are my friends at Jada. They make all kinds of great center console related accessories for your Tesla, whether you have the newer center console style or like me, the older one now. They've got lots of cool stuff, namely the USB hub console, storage organizer, USB hub, including USB-C ports, Apple watch charger, AirPod charger, all in one. Really excellent product. Uh, They also, for those of you like me that have the older uh, Model 3s with the that don't have a built-in wireless charging pad for your cell phone, use the Jada one. That's what I have in my car. It looks factory. It looks great. It works great. No tools required to put it in. Couldn't have been easier. You can get that at getjada.com slash R-E-F slash eight. Jada spelled J-E-D-A. I know that URL is a little annoying, That's my referral URL. I humbly ask that you use it because in full transparency, they'll throw me a couple of bucks from the sale if you do purchase through that link. In return for you using that link, I offer you a discount. Use the coupon code RTL on any Jada product that you may choose to buy. Uh, I mentioned the Patreon at the top, but just one more time, patreon.com slash Tesla podcast. That is the website to go to where you can choose to Support me. Support my efforts here. You know, I've been at it for seven years, never missing a week. I'm very proud of that. So uh, I hope maybe if you're listening this far, you've hopefully enjoyed the podcast and maybe you've been listening long enough where you think, you know what? Yes, Ryan, you have earned my support. I'm going to jump on that Patreon, whether it's at the $5 tier that gets you early access to each week's episodes, five bucks a month. What is that? It's like a cup of coffee. You could step up to the $10 tier. That's the ludicrous tier. That's the one that gets you not just the early access, but also that weekly bonus mini episode that I've been calling the lightning round episodes. So uh, then the perks, there are more perks and more tiers. They go on up, but you can find out all the information at patreon.com slash Tesla podcast. If you are not already subscribing to the podcast, that is a free thing that I highly recommend so that each week, every time there's a new episode, it pushes out to you automatically. So you can subscribe on any of the major podcast services, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, also YouTube. Uh, But it's just audio only. There's nothing to look at. But if you do just prefer to listen on YouTube, you can do that by just searching Ride the Lightning Tesla on YouTube, you should find my channel very easily and can subscribe there. Email me if you ever need to or want to, teslapodcast at gmail.com. My Twitter and Instagram, I'm the same handle on both of them, DMC underscore Ryan. And with that, let me say thank you to the Plaid Maximum Plaid and Roadster and Space to your Patreon backers who get their names shouted out at the end of each week's episode. First up, thank you to the Plaid Level supporters, grandfathered in now as the Plaid Level has been retired. George Cassiopo, David Brander, Logan Willis, Jason Chalukas, Tim Hyde, Peter Chalet, Eric Randolph, Dory and Steve Guberman, Jeremy, the Tesla owners of Taiwan, Ron Lee, Charlie Gillespie, David Perella, Dennis Peak. Jeff Angwin, Chase Cabanillas, the Lydia family, Aaron Altschul, Jared Brown, Jerome Strack, Jamie Dalton, the Tesla Owners East Bay Club, Mike and Barbara from Louisville, David J. Howes, Travis Krenzel, 
Matt Nixon, the Tesla Owners Club of Wisconsin, Jonathan Zelezny, Ish, not Elon Musk, T. Kirk Lowry, Peter, and the Bear Boys of Colorado. Next, an extra big thank you goes out to the Maximum Plaid backers, Jonathan Wales, Cameron Clark, Daniel Grummer, Seth Capello, Nick and Tony, the Galpin family, Ryan from Las Vegas, Darren Nickel, Kaz Barnes, Ulrich Lassa, Brett Libano, Patrick Wisniewski, Gil Cabrera, Hay Watley, Eric Brown, Mark Eversole, Todd Badger, Joe Edgel, Kevin Yank, the Tesla Owners Club of San Joaquin Valley, Michael Williams, Will Stedman, Maitsuaru, Derek Nesselrote, Justin Perez, Jeremy Harris, Chris Beach, Tom Mills, Alex Brem, Tyler Smith, Corey O'Donnell, Matthew Graham Droneberger, Scott Gillis, Aaron, John Cody, Andre Kent, Joel Sapp, Kim Bay, Paul Casarino, Richard Corley, Chris Osborne, KB, Matt Asbury, We Drive Tesla EV Luxury Car Rental in Oahu, HaloBengals.com, and Chris Pratt. Finally, an extra big thanks to the Roadster in Space tier backers, Pete White, Lyle Austin, Steve Radspinner, Fernando Cordero, Lawton from Chicago, Sean Neidig, Neil Weaver, Jackson Wallace, Rolf and Jennifer Evers, Howard Anthony Smith, Victoria Iacovetto, Tesla Hitchhiker 42, and Kara Weston. And with that, I come to the end of Ride the Lightning episode 365. By the way, I had to record this very, very early in the week due to my family trip, so if any kind souls out there end up joining the Patreon at one of those shout-out tiers, Maximum Plaid or Roadster in Space, and I, and you, you, you hear this and go, wait a second, I just backed. Why didn't I hear my name shouted out? It's because I recorded this before your pledge came in, so I will send you a, a, a personal note on Patreon, and I'll start shouting you out on next week's show. But in the meantime, uh, I am going to head off with my family. Again, I thank you all very much for listening to this episode. Hopefully you enjoy the interview, allowing me to uh, get a little away time with my family, do a little rest, a little recharge. There's an exciting rest of the year ahead for Tesla, which I'm very much looking forward to. And with that, I bid you farewell for one more week. But again, I will be back next week. That's uh, whether it's for the earnings call recap or that other interview I've got ready to go in my pocket. Either way, I will have something brand new and fun for you to listen to next week. But until then, happy electric motoring, my friends, and I will see you back here next week. I mean, I think a Tesla is the most fun thing you could possibly buy ever. That's what it's meant to be. Our goal is to make... It's it's not exactly a car. It's actually a thing to maximize enjoyment. It's maximum fun.